Welcome to The Build-Up. I'm Kirk Penhouse. And I'm Arielle Cash. Together, we cover real estate for Crane's Detroit business. We're doing this podcast to give you the inside scoop on commercial real estate. We bring in industry experts to talk about the issues they face today and what challenges they expect for the future. This is The Build-Up. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're welcoming Dave Blaskowitz to the podcast. He's the president and CEO of Invest Detroit, a nonprofit that uses strategic lending to promote growth in the city. In his role, Dave is the organization's top strategizer and lead relationship builder among the public, private, and philanthropic sectors. And since he's on this podcast, you can bet one of his focused areas for Invest Detroit is real estate development. Dave, thanks for being here with us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Dave, can you talk about your ambitions for Invest Detroit? Where do you see the the organization going and how does it have the most impact going forward? Yeah, I mean, it might be helpful if I just give you a little bit of an overview of the organization itself. Uh, We're a community development financial institution or a CDFI. And all that really means is that we invest in communities that are often underserved uh, by more traditional sources of financing. Uh, So it's a great place, you know, kind of to start. You can think of us like a lending institution, but there's a whole mission-based component uh, relative to uh, to our organization. Uh, we got a particular focus uh, on the city of Detroit and more specifically on the rebuilding of density in the city and the creation of jobs in the city. So everything that uh, that we undertake uh, is going to fall into one of those those two spaces. So with regard to ambition, uh, you know, for us, it's... Uh, it, just like your old math classes, you have to build off of the last session that you had and you have to keep, uh, you know, kind of climbing uh, towards a, a larger and larger, uh, you know, kind of impact and for us organization. Uh, so we've been going through a, a fair amount of growth over the last few years. Uh, and, and, and for, for uh, the market itself, our hope is that we continue to provide real value uh, around uh, the support of new development across the city, and I'm sure we'll get into uh, what that means in this discussion. And we want to make sure that we're also uh, supporting viable businesses. And for us, that means both, uh, you know, projects on the venture capital side, but also on the small business side. And uh, even though this is a real estate discussion, there's a lot of uh, intersections, obviously, between uh, between those two. How do you anticipate doling out or determining how you uh, divvy up? for lack of a better phrase, the $50 million in uh, new markets tax credits that you were just awarded from the uh, Department of Treasury? Yeah, I can tell you, we're beyond thrilled to, uh, uh, to have received that, uh, that notice around the alloc- allocation, that $50 million uh, for us uh, is going to help us advance a lot of uh, different projects. It really is going to break down for us uh, into a couple of different categories. One is neighborhood development. And for us, um, we actually started a pretty innovative uh, program. And for those not familiar with new market tax credits, essentially it's a a tax credit, just like it sounds, kind of earned over a seven-year period of time. What does that mean for a project? If we invest in a project using these tax credits, we can actually generate some equity that will go into uh, the project itself. And so for us, it helps us complete projects that otherwise wouldn't get completed. If there are gaps, uh, financial gaps in the projects uh, that we can't close using other tools or resources, this becomes a really important resource for us to use to complete some of our broader objectives. 
Um, I mentioned the neighborhoods because we started a program a few years back where we were able to actually shrink this down to much smaller investments, typically with a new market tax credit uh, type investment. They're very complex. They require lots of legal support and structuring. And on that basis, um, you don't want to do small projects because uh, you'll quickly run out of uh, value that's being generated for the project. Typically, uh, folks who receive allocation are going to do projects that are 10 million in scope and above. Uh, for us, we found ways to actually break these up into smaller pieces and use them in neighborhoods over multiple projects. Lots of coordination, lots of uh, heavy lifting, you know, uh, you know, kind of behind the curtain, but a really important uh, impact for, uh, for those communities. So uh, we plan on using a, a, a portion of this uh, to support uh, continued neighborhood development and breaking them up into smaller pieces and continuing what we started with the, uh, with the last round. We always have some industrial uh, support in that as well. And so for us, uh, supporting you know, manufacturing, wholesale, distribution, logistics companies in the city of Detroit, uh, you know, part of our longstanding bread and butter here in the community, uh, but that is a place that we have historically put, uh, put money uh, or put tax credits uh, into uh, in, in the past. And, and our expectation is that we'll do uh, a little bit more of that. Vast majority of this will be focused on, uh, on real estate projects uh, and, and those uh, being in the neighborhoods. How is the changing economic climate affecting things? Does it make any difference in terms of what that your ambitions are, what you're doing? Oh, that is a fantastic question. So I'll give you a Kind of the pros and the cons, um, you know. So, and, and I'm not stating anything that that anybody in this industry isn't already experiencing. But supply chain issues, labor shortages, uh, material costs, fuel costs, interest rates—all things working against projects today. All creating bigger economic gaps or adding expense on the uh, financing side of the equation. What's working for us uh, right now uh, is actually all of the federal funding uh, that has come into play, especially when you talk about underserved communities and the opportunity to leverage things like uh, ARPA uh, or CARES Act money. Uh, we're seeing more and more of that getting uh, directed into, uh, into projects uh, that, are, uh, that are in the city. Uh, you know, the city itself has a, a very substantial uh, allocation. There's $426 million out of the $826 million that is being allocated into various different buckets supporting housing and rehab and, uh, and the like. But the state also has significant resources, and uh, there have been a series of appropriations that are supporting development uh, as well. So uh, while the holes in projects are getting bigger, uh, we do have some very substantial tools that we can use uh, to bridge those gaps. And then I'd go back to the new market tax credits uh, as well. We just uh, saw a $5 billion uh, round uh, this last round. Uh, so while we're thrilled with our own allocation, when you think about what that means nationally, taking those kinds of tools and placing them into projects, uh, another way to, uh, to, to bridge the gaps that uh, have been created by, uh, by the environment that we're in. You said before and somewhat recently that you're you're concerned about sort of where things sit come 2025 and 2026 in terms of in terms of commercial real estate. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? So if we think about the cycle that we're in right now, you know, we had this great, you know, kind of upward cycle. COVID hits. 
Uh, we, we have all of these, you know, challenges to projects, bigger gaps. We're starting to fill all of these gaps, as I just said, with federal funding and other tools and resources. But those gaps are still substantial. The economics are, are being challenged. And with interest rates as well, we're also seeing, uh, you know, kind of values go down on, uh, on the for sale side. So what does that mean? If we can continue to plug the gaps with, uh, you know, with some of the federal funding, that's great in the short run. But what does that mean in the long run? You know, the music's going to stop at some point. Many of these programs have a three-year shelf life. And when that process ends, the economics uh, most likely have not changed that much because we've been pumping additional capital into them, uh, which means those gaps uh, are going to be uh, challenging uh, at the backside of these programs. And that's where I, I think we're going to see another, you know, kind of soft drop in the market, especially uh, for projects that have become more reliant on that type of funding, on the federal funding and, and other gap uh, closure uh, type funding. Uh, like I said, the economics are just going to uh, get tougher. And I think we'll again go through a little bit of a soft market uh, as these tools begin to, uh, to wane uh, and then work ourselves back into a more stabilized market. It's actually kind of hard to think of a project that's happened in Detroit neighborhoods in recent years that hasn't had your fingerprints on it. Um, and I'm curious where you see sort of the next wave of investor interest, whether that's, you know, on the east side, west side. So I actually think, um, you know, so thanks for, for mentioning that, by the way. I think that's a, a gross overstatement, but I appreciate it. Uh, it makes me feel great about the work that we're doing in the neighborhoods. We're in 10 different neighborhoods in the city of Detroit today. And we're continuing to expand uh, that strategic neighborhood uh, fund program. Very excited about the outputs and, and the data has been great. But, uh, you know, the next big thing, uh, at least from my perspective, is the Joe Louis Greenway. And looking at this 27 and a half mile greenway, uh, you know, this is much more than a bike path. This is an opportunity to leverage public spaces. Uh, across the city. This is a whole inner city ring, like I said, 27 and a half miles of this ring that can be used to leverage uh, both economic development uh, in neighborhoods uh, and also in former industrial uh, areas. Having the attention uh, on, uh, on a targeted geography is always a benefit because it gets everybody focused around particular areas The re you know, and the fact that this thing is phased I think is also a real uh, great opportunity uh, to get everybody circled uh, around uh, the same kinds of opportunities and bring different things to the table. That's where we've seen the most, uh, you know, success. And I can go back to things like the Super Bowl or the Lower Woodward strategy or the transit-oriented development strategy, all things that got folks focused uh, around uh, targeted geographies and development. Everybody kind of brought their own pieces uh, to the table and helped uh, to, to lift up Midtown, Downtown over the years. Uh, we're trying to take on the same approach in the neighborhoods today. And I think Joe Lewis Greenway is the next opportunity uh, going forward. You mentioned the 10 neighborhoods. Are they all strategic neighborhood fund projects? Are they all strategic neighborhood fund neighborhoods? Yeah, the 10 neighborhoods that we're in are all strategic fund neighborhoods uh, today. Um, and I would just say, uh, though, that they're varying neighborhoods, right? You know, I wish we could create a template that is just the same template and we go from place to place. 
But the reality is that each one is different. And some of them were absolutely, you know, we look, we, we, you know, we look for what we would call tipping neighborhoods. These are the neighborhoods that are right on the bubble. If we put our shoulders into them, we can get them to tip in the right direction. And if we don't, you know, there's the fear that they're going to go in the, in, in the wrong direction. So uh, tipping neighborhoods, really important, uh, you know, kind of uh, kind of concept here uh, as, as far as um, uh, as far as the neighborhoods go. Not all of them are in the same position. I would compare, for example, a West Village, which was one of the first, uh, you know, three neighborhoods uh, that we, we we started to invest in. That had a lot of stuff already percolating in the neighborhood. Had some organic stuff going on, uh, retail showing up, a number of building permits that had been pulled. So you know, kind of all. Uh, moving in the right direction. I compare that to where we started with Livernoy and Six Mile, and that was a very different, uh, a very different uh, type scenario. Needed a lot more uh, investment and work. But if you look at it today, you can see the forward progress with what's going on on McNichols, what's going on with the park, you know, uh, the Fitzgerald Park, Ella uh, Fitzgerald Park, the greenways that have been installed. Uh, that. You know that took many more years to get to the same point uh, as it as it would to some other comparable comparable uh, neighborhoods. So uh, making sure that that's uh, uh, that's on the on the list of fun things to do as well. Uh, you know we've got a, a kind of a, a wide breadth of approaches that we're taking in the neighborhood. Do you feel like the program is successful as a whole, and do you see room for it to expand, or do you think these ten neighborhoods are the ones you're sticking with? I, so yes, we are already seeing uh, great signs of success, including increases to density, increases to incomes in the neighborhood, more uh, uh, at, you know at better access to uh, shopping and and uh, neighborhood facing retail, more housing opportunities, and that's both for market rate and affordable housing uh, in neighborhoods. Uh, we absolutely see this uh, continuing to to expand. Uh, you know, when you think about the city of Detroit, it's 139 square miles, and you can't do it all at the same time. You have to start with smaller pieces. Uh, and what we're really focused on are kind of concentric ring developments, right? You know, meaning that you get into these cores, you stabilize them, you make uh, you know pretty substantial investments there, and then you continue to build out around those uh, those centralized areas. That's been a really good strategy for us. And then you get into connecting dots and also creating job centers. This next phase, I'm going to link these two together, both the neighborhood work and the Joe Louis Greenway work. Uh, if we can get, uh, you know, uh, new job centers built adjacent to the neighborhood investments that we're making, and you can make those very proximate to each other, that is a win-win scenario. And now you're starting to, you know, really... Uh, Cook with gas here and, uh, and 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 move things along. So that's uh, that's the ultimate goal. To do that, we do have to continue to expand the number of neighborhoods that we're in, and also uh, really step up our game on the uh, commercial and industrial side. Um, you guys don't typically get involved as a project developer, um, but you, I think, pretty sure you did with the Parker Durand up in. Um, uh, up in Island View, um, what, what what would prompt you guys to get more involved on sort of the developer side in the future? It's it's kind of a, it's a great question uh, for us, and one that I will tell you that we continue to struggle with internally on, a, on an annual basis. When we're looking at it again right now as we redo our strategic plan, 
But we end up doing development often out of default. We've got some really terrific uh, partners, uh, but we've had projects that we've had to take back. You know, for example, we'll go into, uh, you know, one of these uh, neighborhoods that we mentioned, one of the 10 neighborhoods. We'll do strategic land acquisition. Then we'll RFP, uh, you know, re request for proposal out, uh, you know, uh, some of the buildings or, or development opportunities, vet those, uh, assign those to developers and support them in, in their developments. Um, it's been a great process. It doesn't always go to plan. Uh, you know, sometimes we have to take those properties back. And if there are time pressures, we might end up developing those, those pieces our, ourselves. Uh, fortunately for us, we've, we've formed some good partnerships with, with developers. But I, this gives me an opportunity to talk, uh, you know, maybe a little bit off question here about how we build more capacity uh, in the city. And, you know, we're doing our, our, our development work by default. Uh, we would love to see more, uh, you know, kind of qualified enterprises and firms out there. So um, we started to uh, invest in uh, development companies, in particular black development companies in the city of Detroit, uh, and uh, created, you know, loan programs and some technical assistance programs to start. What we discovered in that process is that we didn't have the uh, equity necessary. And by we, I mean the, the, the entities themselves collectively did not have uh, the equity necessary to do the acquisitions, qualify for state programs and, and, and a variety of other things. So we ended up creating uh, an equity fund called Ebiera. Uh, and in fact, uh, Kirk, I think you reported on this when we rolled this out. Um, it is a uh, equity fund specifically for uh, black developers uh, and, and uh, BIPOC uh, developers in the city of Detroit that are trying to build an enterprise, not just do a project or, or, or deliver a, a particular development. This is about building, uh, you know, an enterprise. And so we are now uh, investing in their companies so that they have capacity to invest in their projects. And that's been a, an important, you know, kind of step forward for us uh, as well in a, in, in a great way. Uh, to continue to build uh, our capacities. That said, sometimes uh, it just doesn't make sense. There's not enough uh, economic value uh, in, in the development of, of some key projects uh, to, to kind of push that uh, you know, outside into a traditional market. And it's in those spaces that the nonprofit uh, developer uh, makes more sense. We've got a couple of great ones uh, in the city. You know, I'd point out like Sonia Mays' organization, Develop Detroit, is doing really amazing work, uh, you know, and have been partners on, uh, on other projects uh, in the area. But we need more of that capacity uh, as well uh, in the city. Are there other development tools we should be using that we're not? And are there tools that aren't available in the state that you think should be? Oh, the answer is always yes. Uh, you know, so yeah, well, I mean, if you if you think about what we've, you know, even what we had in the past, we had a state historic tax credit, you know, and if you think about Detroit and the fact that the majority of Detroit was built between 1900, 1925, kind of in that time frame, uh, we've got a lot of historic properties out there that are still in need of great restoration and the economics don't always make sense. So having a, a tool or program like that. Uh, the old brownfield uh, credits and the cleanup credits that we had previously, you know, uh, there's not many areas you can find in the city of Detroit that are not considered a brownfield. So, uh, you know, kind of bringing back tools that help with cleanup. And again, with some of the federal funding, we're seeing some of that today. 
but uh, could always use uh, more of that. What I'm particularly interested in, though, are, um, you know, kind of self-capturing areas. How do we help neighborhoods support the, themselves in, in the future and looking at things like TIFs, LDFAs, uh, TRAs, uh, forgive all the acronyms here, but they're all ways for communities to kind of capture some of that increase after investment in their communities so that they can reinvest in their communities. Those kinds of tools, I think, are, are, are continuing to, to, to be missed, uh, you know, when we talk about opportunities in, in, in neighborhoods. We have seen them. You'll see them in the downtown. We have a DDA here, which is, is, is really uh, doing amazing work. Uh, I'll say that with a little bit of bias here. I sit on the DDA board as well. But, uh, and then there are a couple, you know, we have an LDFA. We have uh, some TIFs that are in place. Uh, but for the most part, that is an underutilized tool. And, and one I would add, which is very similar, is the business improvement zones here, districts and most other places. But the biz, we've got a great downtown biz. We have, uh, you know, one out in Southwest. But an, an, an opportunity, again, to, uh, to see uh, a, a capture from the value increase, uh, you know, based on, uh, you know, investments in those areas and then the reinvestment back into their, uh, their own communities. Are there efforts to use any of those tools more broadly? Is that something you're pushing for? Yeah, uh, I, that and, uh, and a couple of other, you know, kind of structural reforms. I'll, I'll go off on one tangent I probably shouldn't go off on, but it's, it's you know, structural tax uh, reform and the importance of moving away from um, systems that disincentivize bad behavior, right? You know, we've got a tax system right now that um, really penalizes our residents uh, and, it, and it penalizes developers for making capital investments or capital improvements to their property. And that, that's, you know, those are not good public policy outputs. You know, how do we uh, discourage land banking and encourage development. Well, that's often through tax policy. And so I get that the city, you know, needs to turn its lights on and off and provide the great services that it's providing. Uh, but uh, we know that there are existing challenges to, uh, to, to, the, uh, to the tax code that, uh, that need to be addressed. So that's another one. Of course, you steal my thunder because I was going to ask that in a, in a little bit here. But, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> well, so I mean, so I mean, to to sort of piggyback or follow up on that, can you extrapolate maybe maybe a little more on, on where efforts stand, either at the local or state level, that would um, basically change or implement this, you know, like a split rate taxation system that that you and some others have called for. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I would say it's a work in progress uh, at this point. Uh, the basic concept, I think, has, uh, has been adopted by lots of different groups. Uh, this is uh, being entertained uh, by the administration as well. I know City Council, uh, you know, has uh, been looking at this, uh, this issue. So it is uh, in all of the appropriate places. Um, legislation has to be created and, uh, and kind of work through the process. So I would expect that, uh, you know, come spring, uh, we'll have a lot more to, uh, to talk about uh, relative to the details of this. The problem definition doesn't change, though. If we think about why uh, there is the need for this, uh, that's not going away. So even if, uh, you know, kind of the proposed solution isn't the one that's adopted, we have got to address the, the challenges relative to, uh, uh, to our structural uh, tax uh, setup here and, and, and what it's actually incentivizing. 
if we can sort of jog backwards here a little bit back to sort of incentives and um, uh, basically development finance. And like it, it wasn't all that long ago that the Broderick Tower required like what, 18 different layers of financing to, yeah. to, to, get, to get across the finish line. Um, how has development financing in Detroit evolved since then? Obviously the market has shifted um, in, in some ways to the good, in some ways to the bad, but how, how do things look when you're like looking at pro formas? Are they just as complex today as they were 15 years ago? Or are they similar? No, I mean, you know, I, we started, you know, talk about complexity. The book Cadillac, uh, we, I think we closed first round with 21 or 22 different layers of financing. And by the time the restaurants and other retail got completed, it was 26 layers of financing. So, uh, you know, start using that as kind of a baseline. Uh, we are down uh, significantly uh, on, on the number of uh, pieces of financing that it takes to complete a transaction. That said, Economics are still not debt, equity, and you're done. Uh, you know, we we still have a number of slices in there. There's usually some mes debt piece uh, in, in in these projects, some other uh, supportive financing that could be, uh, you know, uh, tax credits. It could be other incentives, or it could be uh, just uh, modifications to uh, you know to offset tax liability. Uh, all things contributing, obviously, to those pro formas, but. Um, they have become, uh, I think what, what is also great evidence uh, that we, we've moved along in Midtown and Downtown in particular is that you can get uh, things more traditionally refinanced. Uh, you know, you, once you get to a stabilized asset, you know, that's where, where you know, kind of broader markets can take over. And, and that's been demonstrated, I think, time and time again with things like the Broderick, things like the David Whitney. Uh, you know, uh, those, are, those are great sample projects of, uh, of, of where we've come. Um, that being said, you you know you talk about the layers in the Broadwick. There was very little debt uh, in that project, traditional debt uh, in that project, uh, because it just didn't support it. Uh, David Whitney had more. As we moved further and further into Capitol Park, we saw more and more um, traditional type approaches. Again, still with subsidy in them, but it, but it, it they look uh, I, I will say much closer to normal today uh, than they than they did in the past. Where that's not the case is, you know, we're, we're, we're going back to very basic, uh, you know, and big gap projects in the neighborhoods. And uh, again, we're, we're bringing these tools and resources. Uh, fortunately for us, one of the uh, biggest helps for us has been the, the, you know, strategic neighborhood fund itself and being able to go out and raise philanthropic dollars that are very patient uh, some of them being used for infrastructure for the community, some of them being used for public spaces. Uh, obviously, the city has made a, a, a light commitment around streetscapes, uh, you know, all things contributing to future values. But when you go and start that process, the gaps are substantial. We're talking, you know, 25, 30, 40 percent of these projects missing economics. And, and for us, that means there's, those are non-serviceable parts of the project. You cannot bring in debt, uh, you know, and just fill the gaps because the projects at this stage can't support it. You have to lift values in those communities in order to, uh, to make the economics change. The only way to do that is to make multiple investments and figure out how to get them over the finish line. So. Are there any projects or efforts that you're particularly proud of in your tenure at Invest Detroit? <laughs> 
there's a lot, uh, but there's probably an equal number, uh, Ariel, of, of, of the projects that we just don't talk about, right? You know, it's uh, <laughs> all kinds we'll of- We'll ask you about those too. <laughs> but tell us about the ones you like first. Uh, you know, this, for me, we've had these kind of episodic moments uh, in, in uh, Detroit's redevelopment. Uh, for, uh, a good portion of that started for us with the Super Bowl, and, uh, you know, kind of investments on uh, Broadway, uh, investments on Woodward Avenue, and then a kind of a continuation of that in this West District plan where Capitol Park and Washington Boulevard got, uh, got a lot of attention, Grand Circus Park. Uh, you, you know, I'm sure you both can remember sitting at a Tiger game, you know, the, the sun goes down and you see these two shadowy images in the background. One was a Broderick Tower, the other was the David Whitney building. You know, that was your backdrop, two vacant uh, buildings. Um, one of my, uh, I think, proudest moments was uh, being able to get a district, the first and last of its kind, district, uh, you know, uh, tax credit uh, that was placed for both Capitol Park and some of those key uh, Woodward Avenue uh, developments. Uh, so that really that pushed seven projects forward that I, I don't think otherwise would have uh, would have uh, would have made it across the finish line. So um, that uh, that renovation, uh, big part of it. But, you know, I would I would also point to uh, the work that has taken place in in, in Midtown uh, with the work with Sue Mosey. I know uh, Sue's been on your, your show as well. Um, you know, she has done just amazing uh, work there. And the economics, you know, Kirk, to your earlier, you know, kind of question, uh, the economics changed. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the stuff that we accomplished early days, uh, I'm still very proud of. And some of them were very small projects, uh, like the Canfield Boss, one of the first projects to get funded there, for sale project. Uh, it's not a huge project, but that was like one of the first dominoes to fall. Uh, and then you have these, all these successive things that, uh, that take place. Um, right now, my, uh, you know, the, I, I feel uh, most pride around what's going on in the neighborhoods. And uh, I, I feel like we've got great momentum in the midtown, downtown areas, you know, with the uh, stadiums and arenas, uh, you know, really placing themselves there on a more permanent basis. But Detroit is built on its neighborhoods. And if, uh, if we can't, uh, you know, stabilize uh, those uh, you know, uh, we're, we're not going to be long for the world. So I'm, I'm really excited about what's actually happening in the neighborhoods and the attention that uh, that they're receiving today. What is your biggest failure in business and how did you overcome it? Well, um, I'm going to have to go back to my old DDP days uh, where we had, uh, you know, uh, some, some real challenges in getting that first uh, biz pass. Um, and the way we overcame it was we just uh, went back until we got it done. And uh, we, we did get it passed and, uh, you know, and it's operating today. So uh, absolutely uh, a, a challenge, uh, but one that I'm, I'm thrilled is, you know, is operating uh, today and doing a great job. Who, what property owner was the biggest obstacle? Uh, uh, well, there were a few uh, in that process. And I think lots of really good questions. But um, if you think about this, uh, we had six large corporate uh, entities that that touched. And I have to say, to my surprise, you know, we can all 
guess at who we would think would be the most difficult. Uh, but at the end of the day, we had all six support the preliminary piece. That to me was really important. No carve outs, no modifications to the geographies, uh, which I think was a part of our failure in the first round. Uh, but um, got them all over the finish line uh, and all supporting uh, on paper, uh, you know, our, uh, our, our, our request to, uh, to put this uh, forward in a formal way. You have GM, Blue Cross, the Illiches, Gilbert. Who, who am I missing? DTE. Mm, fair. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about we haven't picked up on? Uh, I'll look forward to my next call from Kirk, you know, always poking at whatever project is lurking around the corner. He's always uh, fishing for, for good information. And honestly, he usually knows more than I do about these projects. So, uh, <laughs> no, uh, congratulations to you both, uh, you know, on the work that you're doing and the continued expansion of the work that you're doing. Uh, really uh, pleased that you invited me to do this and uh, I had a good time. We're glad to have you. Glad for the conversation as always and uh, happy to hear. Thank you for listening to The Build Up, a production of Cranes Detroit Business. You can learn more and read our stories and hear more podcasts at www.cranesdetroit.com. Hear all the episodes on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts.